Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Really fired up about this conversation today. We're going to have Big 12 play. It's finally here. And KU gets a new face to open things up for 2023. It's KU versus BYU at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium on Saturday afternoon. 2.30 kick ESPN. You really couldn't ask for much of a better stage. We're joined today by Jeff Hansen who covers BYU for Cougar Sports Insider, and then also on his YouTube channel. If you just look up Jeff Hansen on YouTube, it'll show right up. Got some really cool YouTube videos he does on there. Um, and Jeff will join us here for a fun conversation about things BYU. So Jeff, for you, we're recording this on Wednesday evening. What's kind of the week been like for you so far? Has it been good? Man, it's been, uh, this week has been finally like the culmination of years for BYU, man. I mean, they've been so pumped to get into the big 12 conference for years. It didn't happen. Now it finally does. And uh, it, it all comes to a head on Saturday and it's the first conference game. BYU fans are so excited. This is we're, we're, we're still at the happy to be at the table stage. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I've really picked up on that between, you know, social media, obviously the message board on, on fog.net. It seems like people are really excited. So I, I'm curious then to start this season, you know, I've watched them afar, knowing that BYU is going to be the team that KU opens Big 12 play with, right? They've got kind of a close game against Sam Houston in a week one, a 14 to nothing win, a better win in a week two against Southern Utah. And then last week, a game that I wanted to watch live, but being on the West Coast for KU Nevada didn't necessarily work out timing wise. But what's been kind of the mood around the fan base to start the season where it seems like maybe the results have gradually improved, but just kind of from your read, what's the mood been like around the fan base to start the season? I, I think still a lot of uncertainty. I mean, mm -hmm. we have to take the last four or five years into context, right? And, and BYU uh, 2018, they turned the reins over to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson does what he does for a few years and it goes on to the NFL and, and does his thing. When they, when they turned the reins over to Jaron Hall, everybody kind of knew who Jaron Hall was. He'd been in the program forever. There was a lot of, of continuity that, that carried over, especially on offense from year to year. So then they had a couple of years of Jaron Hall before he gets drafted and goes off to the NFL. So for the last five years, BYU's had a lot of, of known commodities, known faces. They haven't been hit real hard by the transfer portal. For, for whatever reason, it's just kind of been traditional college football in Provo amidst mm. all of this transfer portal you know, bonanza that goes on across the rest of the country. So then we get to this year, and all of a sudden, BYU, it's a completely different team. They added something. Uh, I think the, the final total, including walk-ons, was 60 new bodies to the roster before week one. So Cougar fans, I mean, we're kind of used to this. Hey, the last five years, everything was seamless. There was, you know, there were no transitions. Everything's just sort of built on the year before. So BYU fans go into week one and expect that same kind of continuity with Keaton Slovis. Yeah, he's new to BYU, but he's not new to college football. And then they go out in week one and the offense lays a complete egg. And I think that for BYU fans, it was this sudden realization of, whoa, there's a lot of new bodies on this team. There's a lot of guys in a new scheme that have to learn how to play with each other, uh, have to learn you know, offensive line calls and schemes and protections and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, BYU fans are kind of feeling what so many other teams have felt across the country for the last couple of years. And BYU fans are feeling it for the first time. And so there was a lot of like sudden dread after that kind of disappointing week one against Sam Houston. But there's been 
reasons for hope from week to week that you can see the offense coming together a little bit. The defense is playing a little bit better from week to week. And so you, you start to feel like, okay, by week four, week five, maybe there's that confidence is coming back, but still kind of a week to week thing because that, that week one game was so lackluster that it just is always in the back of every BYU fans mind. Yeah. And I I really want to start with the offense because I think, at least from what I've seen and from the KU coaches talked about this week, right? I think the defense is a lot more of a known commodity right now, at least in the front seven, but it feels like offensively there are a lot of new faces, right? I look at the left tackle being a former five-star recruit from Oregon. who has got all that pedigree in the background and he looks like he's played well to start and you got Keaton Slovis and you've got other guys around, right? A true freshman's basically the starting running back Mm -hmm. offensively. How have things come together over the first three weeks? And if you're to try and project to, hey, you know, middle of November, what do you think the BYU coaches want this offense to look like? What do they want the identity of this offensive unit to be? Yeah, so Aaron Roderick historically has been one of the most balanced offensive coordinators in the country. I mean, even when he had NFL quarterbacks like Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall, it was still almost 50-50 to mm-hmm. the exact number in terms of run and pass split. So he likes to be really balanced on offense so far this year. It just hasn't come together. And so much of that, it really has started with a couple of things. It starts with the offensive line, obviously, and and BYU, while they've had guys like you mentioned, Kingsley Suamataya, he's, he's been in the program now for a couple of years, but he played right tackle up until this year. So he's flipped over and, and yes, it's, you know, it's similar, right? But it is different. Uh, Connor Pay has been in the program for three or four years, but he's played center so far throughout his career. Now he's playing right guard. Uh, And and across the offensive line, you have guys with a ton of college football experience that they've added out of the transfer portal, but they're new to BYU and they're new to this scheme. And it, it hasn't gelled as fast as BYU fans and really the BYU coaches would like it to. And as a result, the run game has suffered and it's suffered pretty dramatically. And then you throw in the fact that there were two transfer running backs as well, Aiden Robbins from UNLV and Deion Smith from Colorado. And neither one of them, despite being upperclassmen, neither one of them really came in and owned that job. They look great in practice, but once the lights came on, uh, you know, blame the offensive line or blame the running back hitting the wrong gap. I don't know. I'm not in the room and and smart enough to know where the, the breakdown is, but something is going wrong. Uh, And so that kind of lent itself to an opportunity for a true freshman and LJ Martin to come in and kind of own this job. And and he's still a true freshman. He looks like a true freshman at times, but he's a true freshman that has found a little bit of burst that the rest of the running backs have not found. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that's in spite of some poor offensive line play. The offensive line does seem like it's getting better. They look better against Arkansas. Not great, but that's a really tough defensive front as well. Mm Uh, so there's reasons to believe that, hey, things are, are starting to come together. And if that if that happens, then ultimately that allows Aaron Roderick to get back to that 50-50 balance that he likes to have. Yeah, what have you thought of Keaton Slovis so far? I feel like if there's anyone that embodies like modern-day college football, it might be Keaton Slovis. Maybe <laughs> maybe JT Daniels, too, from the amount of he's moved around, too. But, right, Keaton Slovis is another guy that's moved around. What have you just kind of thought of his play so far and just what, what he's brought to the offense? You know, the biggest question mark for Keaton Slovis coming into BYU was the last couple of years he was really sloppy with the ball. I mean, his touchdown-interception ratio was nearly one-to-one in his last year at USC and last year at Pitt. 
he's done a great job of protecting the ball. He's thrown one interception in three games this year, and that came on a pass that he was hit as he threw that really if he would have had a half a second more, it probably goes for six. He had a, a wide open receiver running down the seam. So he's protected the ball really well, and that was the biggest question mark for Keaton Slovis coming in. The arm talent is there. The accuracy is there. He just made some really poor decisions. That seems to have kind of addressed itself. He's playing a lot better in terms of protecting the football. His wide receivers, they really need to help him out. I mean, they're having a hard time creating space. Um, I mean, even against a Sam Houston secondary, they're, they're struggling getting open. And so Keaton Slovis is having to throw guys open a lot. Uh, and they're just, they're not there. They've struggled with drops a little bit as well. So his numbers aren't spectacular. I think he's thrown for, you know, a little more than 600, 650 yards through three games. It, it's good, not great. But I think Slovis has played significantly better than his numbers would lead you to believe. But his wide receivers, they have not held up their end of the bargain uh, in terms of the passing game. And that's something that BYU, they're, they're really hoping comes together soon because that really is the bread and butter of BYU football is, is throwing the football. Yeah. And you mentioned that about the wide receivers. And I remember seeing some stuff on pro football focus about how good the, the tight end Isaac Rex is. And I've got it here in my notes, right? That he's the leading receiver for BYU so far this season, 184 yards, 10 receptions. So, you know, he's getting good depth on the routes, right? Getting downfield, is he the best player on offense? Like maybe that's not the right type of question, but for, for BYU and what they do offensively, is he the guy that they're trying to highlight or is it sort of a situation where, Hey, he's the guy that out of the positions and what they go against on the opposition, he's able just to make the most space and, and just get open. Yeah. You know, it's probably some of both. Like Isaac Rex is a very, very good player. I believe he's an NFL tight end. I think he's mm. got that kind of capability in him. So BYU definitely likes to highlight him, but I don't think they like to highlight him as much as they have so far this year, but he's, he's the guy who's consistently creating space and getting open while everybody else has kind of struggled so I, I, ideally, if, you know, if I'm Aaron Roderick, I think they want to keep Isaac Rex as a red zone option. And, you know, maybe he picks up first downs and, and short yardage type situations. He's a big body, right? I mean, he's, he's every bit of six, six, he's, he's 250 pounds. He runs really, really well. Uh, so he's a, he's a legitimate weapon, but I don't think they want to be using him between the twenties as much as they have been. Uh, but but the, when the wide receivers don't step up and when the offensive line can't get the running game going, you got to go with what works. And so far, that's been the only thing that's consistently worked for Keaton Slovis. Yeah, watching BYU take on Arkansas, the thing that stood out to me most was how – and look, I, you know, reading some of the Arkansas stuff, I know Arkansas has some issues along the offensive line. But look, BYU's defensive front contributed to Arkansas's offensive line looking like a not SEC front five yeah i i talk, think so you know talk just about the just the defensive line there yeah the defensive line so byu fans uh under the former defensive coaching staff they they were one of the worst in the country in terms of sacks tackles for loss creating havoc by any metric you want to look at they were abysmal i mean there's no way to sugarcoat it and so this year total philosophy change under jay hill and his new coaching staff that it's hey if you're not getting to the quarterback you're not going to play and, and you've seen just a, a real tangible material change of mindset from these defensive linemen that they're just going out and trying to make plays happen. And against Arkansas, they did it. I mean, you, you spoke to it, Michael, right? I mean, we saw a lot of holding calls. And, and uh, you know, if you're an Arkansas fan, you blame your offensive linemen. 
But if you're anybody else, you're looking at that and saying, well, holding doesn't just happen. Holding happens as a result of getting beat. And, and that BYU defensive line was, was beating offensive linemen play in and play out. Uh, they played really, really well, and they seem to be gelling together as a group and playing better week over week over week. If you look at what the defensive philosophy is now under Jay Hill, uh, he's a he's a Kyle Whittingham from that Kyle Whittingham coaching tree at Utah. I mean, it is defensive line. It is get to the quarterback. You know, it's aggressive. It's havoc. That's what Utah has been known for for 20 years under Whittingham, and Jay Hill brings that exact mindset to the defensive line. And he, in fact, he went out and he hired Sione Puha uh, who played under Kyle Whittingham and then played in the NFL. That's the defensive tackles coach. So it, it really is ingrained in everything that they're doing now. And I don't know that BYU is quite to that Utah level yet where they're, you know, top 10 unit in the country, but you can see that that's what they're trying to be. And so yesterday, uh, yesterday, last week was a big week in terms of showing that, Hey, what we're preaching works to these, you know, these players that are buying in, Anxious to see how they build on that now that they've got some confidence and that the film kind of shows, hey, listen to these coaches, do what they're saying, and you're going to have success. Yeah, someone that KU's offensive coordinator, Andy Kordonecki, highlighted um, during his little media availability on Tuesday was uh, Tyler Batty. Yeah. Um, talk to us about his progression at BYU because he was a guy that you look at the stats, right? I think it was what, like either six solo tackles or five solo tackles, nine total, one and a half sacks. Like, from a defensive end spot, like that's just a lot of production in one game. Talk to us about kind of just his progression at BYU and, and what you've seen from him this season. Yeah, so he came from a small school in uh, in, in southern Utah County, just, just a couple of miles away from BYU. Kind of lightly recruited. I mean, it wasn't a real hotbed for recruiting, and BYU found him. He, he's 6'6", and he was he's a big dude. I mean, he's big, strong. He, he stands out on tape. And it's felt like he's always been ready to make that jump. BYU fans have been waiting for him to become that mm. pass rusher guy for, for the last couple of years, but the scheme just didn't cooperate. And it feels like now he's got a scheme and a coaching staff that's saying, hey, you know, you're unleashed. Go get the quarterback. He's built like J.J. Watt. I mean, I don't want to compare anybody to J.J. Watt, but when you look at just like in terms of size and, and what they look like when they stand next to each other, it's nearly identical. And he plays with that same kind of mindset of he was overlooked and he's got a chip on his shoulder and he wants to prove that he was better than people gave him credit for his entire life. And it's finally starting to come together. Uh, he's, he's really, really important for BYU in terms of setting the edge, getting after the quarterback, really disciplined player. He's one of the leaders in the locker room. He really is everything that uh, Jay Hill wants a, a guy on his defense to be at this point. Yeah, something Kordonecki talked about too was right, just the front seven for BYU being a huge strength. So for the linebackers, I think that was something for KU against Illinois, which I think stylistically is probably my best comparison um, for KU fans out there is, is Illinois, just with the way that they play physically yeah. up front, right? They, they want to get after the quarterback. KU made them move side to side and made them really try and defend them sideline to sideline. It didn't really work. They didn't have the team speed to do it. Yeah. So for BYU with the linebacker position, is this a physically imposing group? Is it more of an athletic group that does go sideline to sideline? What do you kind of see from them week in and week out? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big concerns for, for BYU going into that Arkansas week is can those linebackers match up physically? They had the speed and they could cover sideline to sideline. That wasn't ever in question, but that they're not the biggest group of linebackers. It was a big question mark of physicality. Uh, so coming into this game, 
Jalen Daniels, you know, there's a lot of similarities to KJ Jefferson, but also totally different than KJ Jefferson. And so yeah. I think once again, the linebackers are kind of the the highlight for BYU this week that as they go, so will the rest of the defense. I do think guys like Ben Bywater and AJ Vonkpachan, they they have the speed and the ability to play well for BYU to, to you know to maintain a contain on the edge and and make I mean, make blocks happen, right? They're not just going to get beat out of uh, being out of the wrong or in the wrong assignment, missing assignments, things like that. And then they've got Max Tooley, who's always been a lighter linebacker. I mean, he really is built kind of like a safety, but he plays a linebacker and just sort of roams around and makes plays. And that's really what his uh, entire job is. And he plays really well. And so I'm anxious to see. To me, that's the battle this week is, is Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, that, that running game, and then the quarterback run game, how does that match up with the BYU linebackers? And frankly, I think the winner of that game, I guess of that individual battle probably goes on to win the game. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think one of the things, at least looking at the returning production and, and BYU's defense, right? The secondary, it seems like is kind of the newer um, unit with a lot of faces. Like yeah. how many replacements have BYU had to generate from starters last year? Um, and just kind of overall, what are the strengths and weaknesses that you think are, are kind of make up that unit? Yeah. So in the secondary, Jacob Robinson is the only returning starter from last year's uh, BYU secondary. But Camden Garrett and Eddie Heckard, both cornerbacks, they came with Jay Hill from Weber State. So they're new to BYU. But in terms of experience in Jay Hill's defensive scheme, they've got more experience than anybody else in the room. So they've kind of come in and immediately played well that the cornerbacks with the, with those two and Jacob Robinson, BYU feels really confident in those three cornerbacks going up against anybody. They like that group a lot. The safety position is a completely different story. The BYU got hit with injuries in fall camp. They've lost guys to injuries since fall camp in the first couple of weeks of the season to the point that I think BYU, depending that, that they're a little bit coy about how they handle the depth chart, but I think there will be a pair of walk-ons starting at the safety positions this week on Saturday. So that's a big question mark. If, if uh, you know, if Jalen Daniels and that passing attack can get over the top, then that that's where BYU is susceptible for sure. I mean, th mm -hmm. I think the walk-ons who are going to play Tanner wall, Ethan Slade, they've played about as well as you can expect a walk-on to play, but you don't want to ever really have to count on two walk-ons going into your first game. And as a member of a power five conference, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think KU fans can relate to similar stories, but probably, you know, five, six, seven years ago in terms of just the roster construction. Then I'm curious with, with special teams. I was looking at some of the, the numbers today for something I was writing for the website. And I, I saw the punting numbers where, oh, and, and I was a name escapes me, of course, but basically BYU's punter has a strong leg. Yeah. Like second strongest leg in the conference. I think it's 48 yards is the average distance on his punts, but then you look at the net number and it seems like BYU does allow some returns. Am I accurate in that assessment? Is there a certain play that's, you know, changing numbers there? Because I look at that and I, I feel like that's maybe something that, you know, for KU, at least Trevor Wilson, the punt returner might get the opportunity to at least see if there's an op you know, yeah. chance to make a big play. I think that's pretty accurate. A BYU did allow a touchdown to be re uh, a punt return to be returned for a touchdown against Arkansas 
early in the first quarter. Generally, they've been okay in punt coverage, but they they really it's been one guy who's been really good. Marcus McKenzie, it's not often that you highlight a spotter, like you got to go get that that guy, but Marcus McKenzie, number 32 on special teams, he's been fantastic for BYU. Arkansas clearly identified him and they, they they took him out of punt coverage altogether. And as a result, the rest of the unit kind of struggled against Arkansas. Up until then, they had played really well. So how BYU adjusts now that teams are starting to notice who this number 32 kid is, uh, that will be kind of the name of the game. But you're right about Ryan Rikau. He is a weapon for BYU. He flips the field pretty consistently. Uh, his 48 yard average is, is, I mean, it's every bit is, is what it says. I mean, he's got lots of 60 plus yard kicks where he's kicking from nearly his own goal line and he's able to pin teams down. I mean, he's, he's got a big leg. He's got an NFL leg. Uh, but the, the, the coverage, I think outside of Marcus McKenzie, there's some real question marks mm. there and a return man, like what Kansas has that, that could be a problem for BYU in this game. Interesting. So let's take a step back here and we can start to wrap up. I'm curious for you heading into this game. What's kind of the biggest area you feel confident that BYU can either really win in or hold its own or maybe do better than people expect? Yeah, I think that BYU is better offensively than what the numbers would lead you to believe right now. Uh, they, they've taken advantage of a lot of short fields. They, you know, they're, they're really good in the red zone. There's lots of like, uh, beyond the surface level numbers that would lead you to be optimistic if you're a BYU fan about the offense coming together. And so I think that offensively BYU will be able to score against Kansas. I don't think, you know, they're not going to score 40 or 50 points. That's not what I mean, but I think that they'll be able to put up some points against Kansas's defense. Mm. Uh, I, I look at Kansas's defense and it's, it's significantly better than it was, you know, last year, even, I mean, it's certainly over the last two or three years, uh, but I do think there are some cracks in that defense that BYU will look to to exploit. Uh, so I think the offense versus the BYU offense versus the Kansas defense. There's reasons for BYU fans to feel optimistic there. It's the other side of the ball that is a completely different question, and and that Kansas offense, man. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite offenses to watch in the in the country, uh, much less just the conference. It's it's, it's exciting, and that's you know that's got to be what's keeping BYU coaches up all night long. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure it's going to be the case like that for, I think, a lot of defensive coaches in the Big 12. So, all right, Jeff, let's get out with this. Just what do you think happens on Saturday? You give a score prediction if you want, or just what do you think happens in the game that we see? Yeah, I think it's close. I really do. I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. I think where 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 there's strengths, I think it's strength versus strength. And then where there's weakness, I think it's weakness versus weakness. And so who figures it out the most? I mean, that's that's you know the name of the game, right? I do think it will be close, and I think it comes down to which team protects the ball. The turnover margin, I mean, it's cliche and everybody says it, but whoever forces more turnovers, I think that's who wins this game. Uh, if BYU is able to, to you know, to, to force Jalen Daniels into a mistake or two and Keaton Slovis can protect the ball like he has all year, I think BYU's feeling really confident going into the end of that game. But if Slovis goes back to that Pittsburgh Slovis that we saw and he throws maybe an interception or two in the first half, first three quarters – I don't know that BYU is going to have the juice on offense to keep up with that Kansas offense, getting those extra possessions. Yeah. I like you highlighting the turnovers. KU's going to look to have its first break a streak of five straight games that they've lost a fumble. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, I'm sure we can do a different podcast on that, but <laughs> thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on and for KU fans, make sure you're checking out 
everything he's doing at Cougar Sports Insider and then obviously on his YouTube channel um, at Jeff Hansen. He's got some really funny YouTube videos that he does every day. Um, I've been watching them and checking in, seeing all his takes. So, Jeff, thanks a bunch for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Appreciate you, Michael. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.